Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of Catfish Corner. I'm John Garcia. With me is Adam Vingan. Adam, I don't know how you're feeling, but I am exhausted because I stayed up late to watch the entire gold medal game against USA and Canada, and it was a game. Well, what's interesting to me about that game, not necessarily the game itself, but in terms of how viewed it was, I believe one of the NHL's issues with potentially and then ultimately not going to the Olympics was that the 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 time difference between you know the East Coast and Korea was too significant to generate a lot of interest. And I know that Sports Illustrated recently had an article where uh, Mark Lazarus, who's the top you know one of the head honchos at NBC Sports, said that viewership for I think believe I believe men's hockey was down twenty to thirty percent against Sochi four years ago when the when the NHL players were there, but. As you mentioned, going online at, you know, was it close to one o'clock in the morning here? Yep. There were a lot of people awake. And, you know, we have the luxury here of having at least another hour of leeway versus people on the East Coast where it was even later. You know, it was a hell of a game. And I think the NHL kind of missed the boat there, you know, thinking that there wouldn't be interest. Trust me, if U.S. and Canada were playing in the gold medal game and they were NHL players and the game was going on at 1230 a.m. Central, people would have been up to watch it. So I certainly think the NHL had a little bit of a miscalculation there. But to the game itself, I mean, can't, uh, can't ask for a better shootout move than that. Uh, I, I felt like I had my ankles broken watching it from afar. All of my gear that I wasn't even wearing just sprouted and then just shot up into the rafters in <laughs> South Korea. Kind of reminded me of uh, Matt Hendricks's the paralyzer, paralyzer move. Yes, yeah, that I'm he used familiar to do, but Lamaru did it probably about like 15 times better, I think. That yes. was that was amazing and it was it was very weird because in the first part of the game, you and they mentioned this on the broadcast, but you could tell that the USA women were very nervous. They were gripping their sticks a little bit too tight throughout the game on both teams. A lot of players may have been playing with holes in their hockey sticks because there were a lot of turnovers, a lot of fumbled pucks. And it was a very disorganized game until probably about the second period. And then Canada started taking over. And then in the third period, man, the USA women just really, really took over that game. And as, uh, as soon as they tied it up, I kept thinking, okay, they're going to win this game. They're going to win in regulation. And then I went to overtime and the way that they played in overtime, I thought they're going to win this game in overtime. And then when it went to a shootout, I think they're going to win this game in a shootout. But just I had that feeling that they were going to win since they tied it up, which was incredible, especially after. I mean, I remember watching early morning in Sochi when when uh, they lost that game and hearing about it for four years and knowing the opportunity that they had and they they did it. And it's sort of anticlimactic in the way that it ended in the shootout, not to take anything away from how great it ultimately played out. But, you know, you wish they could have just kept playing versus having it to end, decide a gold medal in the shootout. They still might be playing if that yeah, the case. That, and that would have been fine. I mean, they would be, they would be exhausted, but we would, and we would be too, but in much different ways, glued to the, uh, glued to the screen. We talked about this on the last uh, edition of the podcast about how great of an opportunity this Olympics were for U.S. women's hockey because they didn't have to worry about their NHL brethren sh- uh, overshadowing them. And uh, the U.S. men did not have the same luck as the U.S. women. Uh, so it was great for them. I think it's, you know, you always hear about growing the game and whether or not, you know, you believe in that grassroots a- approach to building interest in a, in a particular sect of the sport like women's hockey. But, I mean, think about how many young women watch that game and, and, and have a newfound appreciation for it. 
and want to be like them or even the men, even men who don't ever watch women's hockey except for this past couple weeks and now have an appreciation for how talented these women are playing the sport. I mean, keep in mind that a lot of them were trying to play professional in the NWHL and they weren't making enough money to consider it a living wage. I mean, it had to be like a second job almost to yep. them. Um, and now they're able to represent their country and win uh, for the first time in 20 years, right? Yeah, that they medaled? Almost to, uh, almost to the day. Well, no, no. They, so they've medaled every Olympic oh, since gold, then. Gold, gold medal. Yeah, yes. but almost 20 years to the day. Yeah, so, I mean, that's great considering, you know, I remember someone tweeted something about, you know, Hillary Knight maybe five years ago was like crying in the parking lot because she didn't think that she'd be able to make a living wage playing professional hockey. Now think about the opportunity that presents her and her teammates now in terms of notoriety and, and, and being able to make a living off of this instead of it just being a very, very skilled hobby. Um, I, think that's, I think that is also just as important as the gold medal itself. So I think the victory is, a lot, is a meaningful in more ways than one. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Now, sticking to the Olympics real quick, the uh, Predators had a, a couple of alumni playing for the Olympics. But Bobby the, Butler. Yeah, Bobby Butler Mark and Mark Erat. Mark Arcabello is yes. there. Uh, Jonathan Blum was yes. there as well. But the one that everyone had their eyes on, who's not a alumni, but hopefully going to be on the team very soon, uh, Ellie Tolvanen, who absolutely tore it up. He looked great. I think he ended up with nine points in five games. Uh, I definitely know he had six in the first two, including a four-point uh, performance, one goal and three assists. You saw, I think what was what's interesting, and I think it's worth exploring, and perhaps it's a story that I should write. I think what is unique about this particular Olympics, going back to the NHL not participating, is it allowed players, NHL players, to see players that they don't get to normally see. I mean, I remember mentioning in passing to Pecorine last week about Ellie Tolvanen, and you know he was—he's very impressed with uh, how uh, with how great he was in the Olympics. And of course, among the teammates of Ellie Tolvanen was uh, Pekka's brother-in-law, married to his twin sister Anna. You know, Pekka was very impressed, and you know they have multiple Finns on on this Predators team: Mika Salamaki and UC Soros as well. So, of course. You know, they're disappointed they didn't have the opportunity to represent their country, but they did have the opportunity to see a player that could be their teammate in a couple of weeks who they wouldn't have had an opportunity to watch otherwise. So when you think about it that way, I, I think that offered a unique perspective uh, for the current Predators. You know, The Predators really want Tolvanen to come to the NHL as soon as he can. And I, mean, I remember first talking to David Poyle about that in December, right around the turn of the new year. And he said that the way things had been going at the time, that you know their interest in having him was high and that it was something that they're seriously considering. And then that was before he broke the under-19 scoring record in the KHL. And that was before he uh, had his breakout Olympic performance. Teams are very interested in Ellie Tolvin and the Predators are not interested in hearing what any of those teams have to say. Um, so when, you, when it comes down to it, there isn't a lot of negotiation that has to happen here. You know, Tolvanen is under contract with Jokerit in, in, in Finland, I believe, right? That's where it's located. I think it's in Helsinki. Correct. You know, their KHL season resumes at the end of the month. They have like one or two more regular season games. His team is going to make the playoffs. The playoffs start first week of March, so maybe in the next week and a half or so. 
uh, you know, their if their final round, their their equivalent of the Stanley Cup final goes to Game Seven, it doesn't end. I think until April twenty eighth. So depending on how far his team goes, he could be available in March, in mid March, but he might not be available until late April. But the Predators have have kept regular dialogue with his representation. Uh, you know, the contract is easy. It's a three year entry level contract. You know, there isn't much negotiation, as I said. And it's just here's the contract that we have to give you and come on over. Joe Rexrode, our columnist who is in Korea, uh, spoke to him, Tolvanen, recently. And Tolvanen was more focused on the here and now. But he has said in the past, from what I've read, that, you know, if he feels like he's accomplished what he wanted to accomplish in the KHL, there is an out clause in his contract. He can come over to the NHL if he's ready. So I, I think that would be a great addition. And the Predators aren't going to risk that necessarily by you know listening to offers for him they're not interested in hearing what other teams have to say about Tolvin and he's 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 theirs he's not going anywhere absolutely now the question I want to ask you is everyone was very excited for what he did in the Olympics and he looked great I mean there's no question about that he looked very good is it maybe a little bit too premature to get too excited given the level of competition in the Olympics? Because again, these aren't NHL players. Right. There has been, some of them are players that only play in Europe. Some of them are players that did play in the NHL, but can't play in the NHL anymore for various reasons. Is it too premature to get too excited about it? Or is it, obviously you want him to do well, but is it, do we just wait until he gets over to the NHL to really make a sound decision on this? I think you I think you look more at what he's done at the KHL because I think we're in agreement that the KHL is probably the second best hockey league in, in the world yeah. behind the NHL. And while the KHL certainly is made up of the same kinds of players that you're mentioning, former NHL players, other, you know, quote unquote to has beens or players like, you know, couldn't crack at an NHL lineup anymore. Or they're older, you know, but there is still a lot of talent over there. So the fact that he's been able to have that kind of KHL season is certainly impressive. Now, if Finland was stocked with NHL players, he probably wouldn't have made the team or would have as a scratch and probably wouldn't have played in any games, or maybe he would have been like a fourth liner and not having the prominent role that he had in the Olympics as they were. I think when you look at Tolvanen, you can certainly be excited because the Predators are. They they loved what they saw. They see a player who they feel is ready to contribute. But temp- expectations should be tempered in regards to what he would be able to do if he does come over for the playoffs. Maybe, like I said, his team gets eliminated in the first round and he gets comes over in March and he has four or five regular season games to get acclimated before the playoffs. So he doesn't have to debut in the playoffs. But there have been players who have debuted in the playoffs. Chris Kreider debuted in the playoffs. Charlie McAvoy debuted in the playoffs. But neither of them were the catalysts for a championship run, and neither would Ellie Tolvanen. He would be a great complementary piece. It would be awesome for the Predators to have him on their third line, put him on the power play. You know, He's got a fantastic shot. You can imagine what that would be like on the power play in one of the circles. I think fans can be excited, but... I think expectations have to be tempered in terms of what they reasonably can expect him to do in terms of helping this team win. Uh, as I mentioned, a great addition, a great complimentary, ple- a complimentary piece to Philip Forsberg and Victor Arvidsson and Ryan Johansson and Kyle Turris. But he's not the man. He's not going to score 15 goals in the playoffs and lead this team and win the Conn Smythe Trophy and all of that. So I think you can be excited, but don't, don't get your hopes up about what he can be right away. You heard it from Adam Vingen first. You can kind of bounce up and down, but stay seated while you do it. Yes. Wear a seatbelt. 
All right. So the Predators had a couple of games this weekend against uh, some pretty bad teams. Yes. They won both of them. Looked to be kind of getting back on track. Teams they, bad teams that they lost to recently. previously, and yeah. that was the previous week, I think. Even they had <laughs> within the pe- within the previous two weeks. Yeah. Yes. So what were your, what were your thoughts on the game? Are they back on track? Or I think you have to again, you know, temper things. Uh, because of the level of competition. I mean, winning back-to-back games is never easy, especially when you have to travel for the second one and you're on the road. I like the way they played the Ottawa game. You know, the Red Wings game was okay. You know, they got up early. They got off to a good start, but they were kind of dragging their feet for a while. Like, one thing that I noticed in that game was when Kyle Turris scored the second goal, that was the 10th shot of the game uh, in less than 10 minutes of game time. They only had 12 from that point on through the end of the second period. So that's like 30-plus minutes where they only had 12 shots on goal. You know, Victor Arvidsson scored a big goal in the third period to get them back on track. The Red Wings responded, but they were able to hold them off at the end. The way I look at the Ottawa game, you know, they got off to a good start. Ottawa responded quickly each time, actually, in a very strange coincidence. The Senators' first and second goals, well, there were only two goals of the game, were scored within 91 seconds of the Predators scoring ahead of them. So Illuminati type of thing right there. <laughs> um, but, you know, the Predators, when they got those quick goals against, they, they didn't panic. They stayed, uh, they stayed even keeled. They stayed aggressive, and they were able to, to build that lead back up. So I, I look more at the game on Monday as more of a reflection of them getting back to what they're best at. You know, they were aggressive from the start. Their big guns were showing up. Um, they were scoring goals in tight, which I thought was good, the, the, the kinds of goals they were scoring versus just the goals in general. Are they back? I, I think fans who are concerned about that, you know, seven game stretch that started with the beginning of the recent road trip in New York against the Islanders and stretched through that road trip and stretched through the losses to Calgary and Detroit at home. You know, I don't think you need to be freaked out by it. Uh, they certainly knew that there had work to be done, but they weren't concerned. Um, and I think you saw that in these past two games that they have, you know, they have what it takes to figure it out. You know, the next couple of games are very tough. You know, the San Jose Sharks are in on Thursday evening as we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. The St. Louis Blues Sunday morning, which is glorious. Then they go on a Western Canadian road trip, which starts with their first visit to Winnipeg. And that's a huge game, uh, considering that Winnipeg does not seem to lose uh, just as much as the Predators don't seem to lose that often. So that so the next three games in particular are very big. And I'm very, very much excited for afternoon hockey on Sundays. It's one of the best things of the season. Late morning hockey. Late morning for us. 12, 12 noon Eastern. Stuff. Yeah. So yes, 11 a.m. brunch hockey in Nashville. I love it. I love it. Got to hit those patios early, get some of those Bloody Marys. Uh, <laughs> I think one of the things that you have to realize also is we, all, we say this every year, uh, repeat it, ad nauseum, the hockey season is a grind. Yes. We're into, you know, the latter stages of February, the early stages of March, where at this point, I don't think that anyone needs to be too concerned on a game-by-game basis as far as what a team is doing, especially a team that's in a position like the Predators, where they could could still win the Western Conference. As far as the regular season goes, they could win the Central Division. They're number one right now as we speak. The process over the final weeks of the season is more important than a game-by-game basis. And yeah, you could kind of see that process getting away a little bit, but I don't think it's too concerning because they're keeping pace with the people that they need to keep pace with. And again, have another big game against the Blues coming up. And if they win against the Blues, win against Winnipeg, then could be smooth sailing from here on out. Yeah, I mean, they lead... As we record this, they lead the Central Division outright. They have two more points, I believe, than Winnipeg and a game in hand. So that certainly helps. 
you know, Winnipeg, for whatever reason, just had a 10-game homestand, which they ended up ending with a loss to the Los Angeles Kings. But then now the Blue, the, excuse me, the Jets now play back-to-back games against the Stars and Blues, I believe, before hosting the, the Predators. So they have a tough go of it, too. You know, you look at this point of the season, it's such a grind. Like, this is the point of the season where it's hard to, like, get very excited. I know the trade deadline is coming up in a couple of days, and that sort of boosts the spirits of people. But I can speak from my personal experience just watching the games and covering the games that, like, this is the time of the year where you just sort of start to drag. You know, you're in that, you know, ladder, you know three-quarter mark of the season, and, you know, you know this team's going to probably make the playoffs, and they could win their first Central Division title, and they could win the Western Conference if they can catch up to Vegas. And you're just wanting it to end so you can get to April and start <laughs> playing the playoffs. I think you see what this team is. You know, there's a lot to like. I mean, their goaltending overall has been spectacular. You know, their defense has been great in terms of the production they're getting from the back end, limiting goals against, which also plays into the goaltending. You know, they could use some help scoring, I think. When you look at where they rank in goals uh, goals for per game, it's near the top, you know, maybe top third of the league overall, but their even strength offense hasn't been that great overall this season. Kind of average middle of the league. For his, it's what, What's interesting is I saw a statistic as I was doing some research that, you know, they don't create a lot of scoring chances, but they score on the ones they do. Like their shooting percentage on their scoring chances is fairly high, like near the top of the league. But in terms of the actual scoring chances they're creating, they're not very high. They're near the bottom of the league. So they take advantage of the opportunities they create, but they're not getting as many opportunities as they would like. I think that's one thing that they need to either look to uh, improve on uh, in in the last stretch of the season is looking to create more because they know they can score on them when they do, but they just haven't gotten as many good scoring chances every game in terms of just the overall raw number. I think if they can boost that as well and then keep the offense clicking as is, I think they'll be very tough to stop. Now, you mentioned the trade deadline, and that's coming up very soon. Uh, and you mentioned that you wanted the, you think that the Predators needed to get someone to help boost scoring. Is there anything else that you think that they should be looking for? And uh, second part of that question, what do you actually think that they're realistically going to go out and do, barring David Poyle doing his magic David Poyle things and bringing in Eric Carlson or something well, like that? Well, that's that's a topic. That's another topic. That's not serious. But I, oh, I know. But trust me, if you could, if you could see my social media feed today after uh, a report from The Athletic said that, you know, David Poyle had you know, at least done Chatted, his, I chatted think is the word. No, with, I, I turned on Twitter today, saw that, and immediately turned yeah. it off. I was like, I do not even I, I have I this. have been seeing people creating trade proposals that would get Eric Carlson <laughs> to Nashville. All I have to say is that if you are one of those people, just put the phone down, put the, comp- put the keyboard underneath the desk, and just walk away. Walk outside. Just, even though that it's raining, you need yeah, that you, to you, you wash need, it over. You need to be rained on. Um <laughs> You hear all these names of, of you know, high-priced, you know, notable scoring wingers. Rick Nash, Evander Kane, Mike Hoffman, etc. You know, I'm sure the Predators have, have done their due diligence on all of them as well. I mean, they check off a lot of boxes, theoretically, as to what they can help, as what, as what they can do to help the Predators in terms of even strength offense and balancing the lines and, and special teams and all of that. But the one thing I keep going back to is not what the Predators uh, what, not what the Predators are looking for, but what they have to offer. So you look at their assets, and we'll start with the, what they gave up to get Kyle Turris in terms of what they sent to the Colorado Avalanche. They sent Sam Girard, who is probably their most NHL-ready defensive prospect. 
They sent Vladislav Kamenev, who is probably their most NHL-ready forward prospect, and a second-round draft pick. Those are kind of the assets that you have around this time of the year to entice teams. They still have their first-round pick, but it's going to be near the bottom of the draft order probably, and I'm not sure the Predators necessarily want to give that up. They, they have it if they, want, if they want to, but you know how, much, how enticing is the 29th overall pick potentially going to be to a team that's trying to you know, rebuild, their, rebuild their roster? Tolvanen's a non-starter. They they're not they're not interested in trading Ellie Tolvanen, especially for a rental. Yep. So, you know, for those Rangers fans who have, may have stumbled upon this and, and want Rick Nash for Ellie Tolvanen, you know, keep dreaming. It's not happening. Dante Fabro, their top defensive prospect at Boston University, maybe, but probably still close to the untouchable uh, realm because he probably represents their future in, in, on the back end. So, barring those three things. What do they really have to offer other teams? They don't really have other prospects that are really that exciting, like Alex Carrier or, you know, Pontus Abergs has totally tanked his value with the way he's played this season. Another name I kept thinking about, but I'm not sure the Predators want to give him up, is Freddie Goudreau. But I'm not sure Freddie Goudreau is a player that's going to fetch a lot either. So it's not necessarily what the Predators want. But what they have to give, and I'm not sure they have, at least now, I mean, things may change at 1.30 p.m. on Monday, but I'm not sure they have at this very moment that much to really legitimately offer a team that has a high price winger as a rental. I just don't think they have the assets that they want to give up, and the ones they do aren't great. Yeah, and I'll be on the record if I haven't been already as saying I really don't think that they need to do anything at the trade and deadline. And Mike Fisher will be back next week. Exactly, probably. and then you also have to leave room for the possibility of Tolvanen coming back, because I know that could possibly affect things. But yeah, so I'll go on the record and say that I really don't think that they need to do anything for the tra- trade deadline. I think standing pat is their best option. But looking at some of the names that were available, one name that kind of uh, kind of jumped out to me would be uh, Patrick Maroon in Edmonton, because he has a little bit of a scoring upside. He's played with Connor McDavid and has done well playing with Connor McDavid, which means that he is he can finish playing with with talented centers and talented players. Granted, I could probably score ten goals playing with Connor McDavid, but he he can do that. And I don't think his price would be very high. Maybe a third round draft pick or something like that. Here are the things that that concern me about Patrick Maroon, and it goes back to my time in Washington. The the Capitals made uh, a deadline move. I believe it would have been the thirteen fourteen season and acquired Dustin Penner. From I the, remember that from the Anaheim Ducks. Yep, I remember. And that. the thought was at the time that Penner could be like Mike Knubel was to Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom. Mm-hmm. You know that grittier player stands in front of the net, lets the two of them do their thing, and is the recipient of rebounds and nice passes in the slot and all that stuff. He never sniffed the top line, and when people were asking, including myself, why Dustin Penner was playing fourth line minutes, Adam Oates, who was the coach at the time, said he's not fast enough. Like. That's that's really what it came down to. I, I see Patrick Maroon the same way. I think one of the problems with Edmonton this year is they're slow. You know, when you know when you have Milan Lucic and Zach Cassian and Patrick Maroon on the same team with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, you're kind of dragging the speed down a little bit. Sure. I don't. And you also have to think about how much Maroon's scoring upside is tied directly to the fact that he's been playing with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl or someone or you know either or. You know, I would love to see the statistics. Uh, of you know him with and without Connor McDavid, I'm sure there's a significant uh, discrepancy. So I, I, in theory, he doesn't sound terrible, but based on what they, how they like to play, 
I'm not sure. Like, he's not a third line player. Like, if you're getting him to play with like Nick Bonino, it's not going to work out well. Like, you're getting him to play with like Kyle Turris. Mm-hmm. And with how fast Turris is and Craig Smith and Kevin Fiala, I don't think you want to slow that down with someone like Maroon. Yeah. And two points on that. One, Adam Motes is a horrible coach. So <laughs> let's not even get in, into that. Uh, two, um, the Capitals have been looking for someone to play with Alex Ovechkin and Nick backstrom to be that canubal type player since mike canubal left and, and now they, they have tom wilson they have tom wilson it. but how many years has it been since mike canubal is playing yeah like seven six, years something five, like six that years yeah. um so yeah and we can look at all the trades that george mcphee made right. and that did work out or didn't work out and they also don't have a history of uh hitting home runs at the trade deadline anyway but i mean going back to our conversation about rick nash looking for him to play on the third line or something like that you said you know you mentioned how about they may not have the assets to trade for someone like rick nash or the cost for rick nash would be uh would be pretty high you know i think getting someone like patrick maroon or a patrick maroon type player someone with Third, second, third, fourth round pick value to plug Michael in there. Grab, yeah. Exactly. Could could do well. And again, if the, you score one or two goals in the playoffs, you have equaled Rick Nash's total for what he would get in the playoffs as well. Yeah, I don't think they need to necessarily rock the boat. I mean, Tolvin would be a, a good add. Mike Fisher is projected to come back sometime next week. And, you know, these are two things, two assets two notable assets that they didn't really have to, they didn't have to give up anything for. One was a draft pick and one was a retired player who's going to sign a, probably a, I wouldn't say a league minimum contract, but it probably wouldn't be surprised if it's close to it. You know, when you think about that, I mean, you can't really get much better than that. I mean, when you think about what they don't really have to give, they didn't really have to give, they didn't have to give up anything for those two. I think the Kyle Turris trade, I think, is the big one they need to they needed to make, and they did. And I'm not necessarily convinced they need to do anything else. I, I agree. I, I like the way that this team is structured. I like the idea of Mike Fisher coming back and the possibility of Tolvin and coming in. I don't think that they need to do anything at the trade l- deadline, and they should stay pat. So it is decided they will stay pat. Yeah. Well, now, <laughs> now they're they're going to do something absolutely insane because I said that. Well. Better not be Eric Carlson. Uh, in, in what world? <laughs> no. In what world? And what? I, I just have to run for a second. Yeah. What? In what world does that work? I mean, think about you. You heard all of the insiders in Canada talk about it the last couple of days that how it would take like five or six pieces, and you would have to take on Bobby Ryan's albatross of a contract that he's like seven and a half billion for like the next three years or four years. You don't want that. Bobby Ryan's like in his early thirties by now. You know, definitely not the guy they traded from Anaheim. You mm-hmm. know, Jakob Silverberg's been doing great in Anaheim, by the way, who was the major piece on the other end of that trade. But yeah, in what world? Like, you're giving up, you know, something major. Like, you're giving up one of the top four. And I don't, the top four is great. Like, and, and think about how much money Eric Carlson's going to command when his contract expires. He's making six and a half cap hit now. It's going to be like 12. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah trying to fit that under with with PK's contract, which is probably the one you might have to give up because he's got 9 million, you know, something like that. But, you know, another Predators defenseman related sad news, Shea Weber today announced that he's going to undergo a surgery on his left foot and he's done for the year. I think that was a smart decision. He hasn't played since December. The team stinks. Yeah. There's no point of bringing him back. It just stinks. Like I, I feel, I honestly feel bad for Shea Weber. I, I, you know, I just, I know this is a business and he knows it's a business, but you know, I really enjoyed my time working with Shea Weber and I know how much this organization meant to him. You can bring up the offer sheet. I understand that, but he, you know, I think that this whole thing has been really hard for him, I bet. And, you know, to watch his former teammates ascend to new heights without him while he can't play and his team stinks. Like it's gotta be hard. Yeah. Poor guy. 
just going back to the Carlson thing, you just, yeah. it, no, not, not even the Carlson thing in general, but this is just the point of the season where it's like trade deadlines almost here. People are just getting, getting too crazy. Like everybody settle down. Just don't, don't worry about trade rumors anymore. Just, just wait, yes. wait till the trade deadline happens. Yes. I mean, Ottawa is in a terrible spot. I mean, they have so many, they have so many good assets to give. I mean, Peugeot will probably be on the move. Um, you know, Johnny Oduya might be on the move. Zach Smith might be on the moves. I know Mike Hoffman is probably the prize, but I'm not convinced they're going to trade him. He's got a good contract. He seems to have good chemistry with Matthew Shane. You know, you're going to have to rebuild. You're going to need some guys around, so mm-hmm. keep keep him around. So I'm not convinced that he's going to be out the door. You know, Kyle Turris got out of there at a good time. I mean, that team seems to be in a bit of disarray. But, you know, Eric Carlson... <laughs> I, I, I just, I just can't. I know what the what do the kids say. I can't even. Yeah, I can't even. Adam Bingen has lost his ability to even right now. Yes, so absolutely. Thank you to everyone who broke him. We'll we'll wait two more days to see when Alex Ovechkin's coming to Nashville or Sidney Crosby is coming to Nashville. Alex All Ovechkin right. would be an interesting one. Uh, I don't want to get into that right now. <laughs> <laughs> We've done too much on the Carlson stuff already. So, all right. Uh, anything else that you wanted to talk about today? I think we have it covered. Perfect. We've got everything we need to talk about. So uh, I think next week, possibly, depending on uh, how the team does and, uh, you know, assuming that they don't lose every single game from now until next week, David Poyle is getting very close to tying and then breaking the all-time wins record for a general manager. Um, Our columnist, Jessica Bliss, sat down and talked with him last week. We'll have an excerpt of that interview for you guys, as well as a, a brief chat with Jessica to talk about Poyle and uh, his wife and going over there and so I uh, look forward to that next week otherwise you can follow me on Twitter at jgarcia36 you can follow Adam at Adam Bingen thanks for sticking around the catfish corner and we'll see you next time <laughs>